Welcome to Ruby Ray, real and raw conversations for the rising global woman. I am your host, Jacqueline Norton. Hello, welcome back to episode 16 of the Ruby Ray podcast. I am your host, Jacqueline Norton, and it is the holiday season right now. We are a few days out from Christmas, and it's kind of that crazy time of year mixed with in the sense of holidays and family and traveling and celebrations and all of that. And then it's also this time of deep reflection and intention and really just taking a moment to pause in in this time of year as we get ready to enter a new one. So I think in this light, today's episode is very fitting because although this is a time of year where there's so many outward obligations and plans and, you know, it's such a season about being with with others and giving to others. The first thing that always comes to mind when giving to others is that we first have to give to ourselves and take care of ourselves so that we can show up for the people that we love in the best way that we can. And so this episode is with Shailena Ayana. She's the founder and well, I guess co-founder of Rising Women. And so today we talk about, we really talk about the foundations of conscious relationship. That being boundaries, we cover things like the abandonment wound and mother wound. And we talk about shadow work, noticing the mind, self-acceptance, how to stay open during these cultural shifts that we're going through and living through right now. And also, we talk about the wild woman archetype and about self-forgiveness as a foundation of, of this work and of loving ourselves better. So it is a really, really beautiful episode filled with tons of insight and wisdom to kind of give you an idea framework of conscious relationship and what that what that means when we break it apart and look at the different pieces of it and how that can apply specifically to your life and your experiences and maybe open up that framework uh, or that perspective a little bit to give you new insight into how you view your firstly your relationship with yourself and then from there your relationship with how you are showing up in relationship with everything in your life and this is such a beautiful time in the year where we can really where we are really reflected back to ourselves how we show up in relationship because we are So we are constantly in relationship to others during this time, whether it be family or friends or lovers or co-workers or partners or that whoever you meet on the street, you know, where this, this idea of, um, how, who we are and how we are in relationship is so expansive. So I hope that you 
gain some insight from this and maybe carry it with you in this time of the year and into the new year and I hope it guides you towards finding a little more insight in in how you can better be in relationship with yourself and with others. So thank you so much for being here. Happy holidays. I hope you have an amazing and restful and peaceful and fun end of this 2019 year and coming into the new decade and sending you so much love. Here is Shay. Hey Shay, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I'd love to just hear a little bit about your story and your your journey to getting to where you are now. What's currently inspiring you? And yeah, just a little a little bit about what you're about and what you're doing for someone who hasn't come across your work before. Okay, cool. Uh, okay, well, I guess I could start with a little bit of the background. So I grew up uh, in and out of foster homes, and uh, I had never met my father. And my mom was a mentally ill young addict. So I had a bit of a turbulent upbringing, which sort of led me down a path of having to form this survivor wall. And uh, so I, I developed a lot of coping mechanisms that kept me really safe, but also kind of void of intimate connection and vulnerability and emotional intelligence. So I had a bunch of experiences early on in life with, you know, difficult relationships. I was in an abusive relationship when I was 19 that um, I survived that gave me a lot of clarity. And I went through a divorce when I was 25. Like I kind of did all of these, (laughs) I made all of these blunders and like went through a lot really early. So my first 30 years of life was sort of just a testing ground, see like how many things I could uh, fail at, <laughs> especially in the realms of relationship. So my my life has really been a bit of a, a training ground, I guess, to gather experiences, go through hardships and um, learn how to reconnect to myself. And I've always been a writer. I've always just loved writing poetry and writing books. And that's been something that I've done since I was very little, like since I was three or four years old. And after I went through a divorce in my uh, mid-20s, it was a really painful time for me. There was a lot of betrayal involved. Um, I was sort of left at rock bottom with, with nothing. And that really caused me to take a look at the wounds that I had not looked at in my own life, the abandonment wound, the mother wound, the pain and the trauma that I had endured that I had sort of dismissed. So, so a lot of people used to say, wow, like you've been through so much. So many people who have been through what you've been through, uh, you know, they're they're on drugs or they're addicts or they're really struggling. And it's so amazing. How did you do that? And I would often just say, well, I just kind of got over it or I just, just did. It just didn't impact me. But the truth is, is that uh, I'm just really good at numbing out. And that's one of my coping mechanisms is sort of to be able to deny. <laughs> and, uh, and so it served me well. It's, it's just that, you know, in the end, I, I wasn't really truly embodying my essence yet. And I had a lot of avoidance going on. And so that experience really opened me up to see the healing that I had to do. So I kind of dove deep. Um, in my mid-20s into the healing path, started doing shadow work, inner child work, a lot of transpersonal therapy. So like looking at 
at my dark side and attaching the esoteric and spiritual to my inner growth and went really, really deep into that healing because I didn't want to have to experience the pain that I had been through in the past again. Like I didn't want to repeat those patterns and I really saw how much my past traumas and my past experiences were preventing me from ultimately living a life that I wanted. It was causing all of this turbulence in my relationship patterns and um, in my own mind and my relationship to love and connection. So that's sort of when I built Rising Woman. I had had it in the works for years before, but it was just never really time. So once I went through that journey, it just felt like, okay, now this is the time I'm going to to build this and bring this forth. And around the same time, I also met my now husband, who is my partner. And yeah, it, it was just like a really interesting way of going about it because I had it in my mind for so many years, but I just kept feeling like it's time to wait, it's time to wait. And then after this deep experience that I had and doing all of that healing work, it finally felt true to bring it forth. And so that's sort of how it began. And then a few years later, that was in 2015. And in 2018, my best friend Heather and I, we decided to partner on Rising Woman because we had been building women's groups and running those together for about a year already. And we just work really brilliantly together as facilitators and as writers and teachers. So we decided to team up and uh, and and then Rising Woman began to just sort of explode and became, you know, quite quite popular on Instagram and and online. And uh, people even started getting our logo tattooed on them, which we did not initiate. That just sort of started happening. But it was all sort of birthed from my my hardships and the things that I had gone through that brought me to a place where I felt ready to share the wisdom that I have picked up along the way. Yeah, so take me back to that kernel of inspiration, that idea that you had in your mind for Rising Woman. What did it look like? What was this dream or this idea that you wanted to build? Well, I'd say, so I used to run an online health and wellness business. So I I, I had like smoothie apps and juicing apps and, and clean food resets and all of that. But even at that point, I had been writing a lot of more wild woman stuff. So a lot of poetry and inspirational works of art that, you know, just kind of came from my soul and so while I was running that business, I was also writing for women and I was very immersed in birth work uh, at the time, you know, doing work, attending births and also studying birth. And so it was really in my consciousness throughout my all of my 20s. And so I knew at some point I would want to build a platform for women that I could house all of my work, but also create a space for women to really create uh, a deeper relationship with themselves. So I really wanted to create a space for women to come and find out what was true for them and to sort of build a roadmap for how their life was going to look. But I didn't exactly know what form it was going to take. And I just had a vision of creating a space where women could understand themselves better and feel seen and heard. And so yeah, it just sort of took a life of its own though once it once it began and now it's really centered around conscious relationship which is the work that we primarily do uh, which is relationship to self self-realization um, shadow work inner child work and a blend of the esoteric knowledge as well so that's sort of how it all came together and we run a program called heal your relationships it's uh, an online program where we take you through all of the principles of conscious relationship doing shadow work inner child work boundary setting um, communication communication, embodiment, all of that. And that's sort of the main work that we want to do with women is like helping them really reconnect to themselves and 
not in a like a light and fluffy way, but in like a deep, dark, intense way where we have to sort of wade through some of the stuff that we don't really want to look at in order to get to our essence, which is like full integration of light, dark, shadow, ugly, messy, all of it. And really knowing that we're not here to change or fix ourselves. We're really here to accept. And uh, the more we can be with who we are and we can be with all of it, um, the easier it will be to bring ourselves fully to others. And that will give us the opportunity to have really beautiful, intimate relationships. Yeah. I love what you said about, I think it was, you said that the wild woman kind of was always in you throughout your twenties. Yeah. And so I'd love for you to talk on that. In my experience, something that I've noticed is that the wild woman archetype is a lot of time left out of conversations in society. Um, A lot of the focus on the woman, the experience of womanhood is focused on the the maiden, the mother, the more lighter, brighter, um, more nurturing elements of, of womanhood. But, you know, the crone is discussed also, but there's this, this wild woman archetype and it's it's not always brought to the table and I think there is still maybe fear or shame or confusion around expressing this part of ourselves or what it really means. So I'd love for you to just talk on this a little bit and and what it means to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because I actually find that the the wild woman archetype is sort of it the the word itself is thrown around a lot and at least where I'm hanging out on Instagram with all of the women's empowerment stuff and all of that and it's thrown around a lot but I'm not sure that we really know what that means or that we have a real true understanding of that. I think Clarissa Pinkola Estes is one of the most amazing people about this from the women who run with the wolves but yeah you know it's like all of the archetypes are sort of I feel like mistyped in some way by society so like the mother archetype is sort of degraded and dis- dismissed the maiden archetype is sort of like glorified in some way this like pure virginal maiden um, and then we have the crone who's just like cast away because you know once you're old you're not worth anything and then wild woman who is sort of portrayed in some ways as like almost a deviant or somebody who you know has no boundaries and is not committed to anything and just like goes where the wind blows her and I don't necessarily think that that's the wild woman I sort of feel like we are all of those archetypes whether we choose to be a mother or not we have that nurturing side to ourselves we can mother ourselves if we have the capacity and the the space to learn to do that but I just see the wild woman as this person inside of us that is true to ourselves, that is, yeah, just connected to, I know it sounds kind of corny, but for me, it does feel like a connection to nature and like not just like going out into the woods and, and having a connection with a tree, but it's like knowing that we are nature and feeling that connection to the cycles of life and death, feeling that connection to, you know, the animals that we eat or feeling that connection to the air that we breathe and the water that we swim in and, you know, the birds that are flying above us and knowing that we are part of this whole cycle. And to me, embodying the wild woman is really deeply being rooted to that connection of life and death cycles. That's really what it feels like to me, just being present and and recognizing that, you know, all of the extraneous isn't really what matters. It's not the material. It's not the cars. It's not the money. It's not the status. It's that rootedness and connection to self and to the earth that allows us to sort of be wild and not be domesticated, right? Because if we're 
connection to that than we will be. And so for me, that's sort of what it represents. And and I think that that's one of the most powerful archetypes that we can connect to um, on our own journey too, is just sort of like disconnecting from the thoughts and opinions of, you know, our cultural conditioning and the society that we have been raised in and start to just honor our connection with ourselves and with nature more. So how did, in your experience, diving into these deeper, more dark and mysterious aspects of, of your own womanhood or experience bring you to a deeper relationship with yourself? Well, for me, doing shadow work is really that connection to the mysterious and to the darker aspects. And that is looking at the parts of myself that I had denied or repressed, looking at my inner saboteur, looking at the part of me that, you know, doesn't have good intentions for myself or for others, like really owning that shadow part of myself. And being able to witness that and accept it allowed me to sort of take the reins rather than having my shadow take the reins over me. So noticing all of the ways that I was able to you know, unconsciously sabotage my life or my relationships. uh, And then being able to own that in my experience allowed me to be more of a conscious creator, right? So like seeing the ways that, you know, maybe I was keeping myself separate or uh, preventing myself from being seen or from really having healthy relationships because of my own fear. And that really allowed me to go deeper. So I really feel like the shadow work piece is one of the most important aspects that we all go through. Because if we haven't taken a look at those things, um, we'll really be in a state of oblivion when it comes to our relationship patterns and why things aren't working out. And this is like all areas of relationship. I'm not just talking about romantic. I'm talking family. I'm talking friendships and talking work relationships we're in relationship with everything in life and you're disowning parts of ourselves and and not really owning them then it's going to be really really difficult for life to flow freely we're going to feel derailed a lot so for me that was a big piece so for someone who hasn't done shadow work before or is sort of not familiar with it how would you explain it and also what are the kind of the steps, maybe the basic introduction that you would give someone who wants to dive deeper into these parts of themselves that they haven't looked at and learn more, you know, go into the shadow work, what would you say to them? Mm-hmm. A few things. First of all, I mean, people who want to do shadow work and then say they want to do it at home alone with a book, you're not going to get the full experience you really need to do this work in community and do this work in groups either like one-on-one is good but doing it in a group is even better Um, I did about four years in uh, weekly group therapy chambers doing it in a setting where not only I'm reflecting back certain things to others but they're reflecting things back to me and I'm able to see myself in other people and really you know doing shadow work is about looking at our darker parts looking at our things like anger things like sadness things like the ways that we are arrogant or deflect responsibility in our lives looking at all of those things without judgment without shame but just with a recognition and that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy or that you have to right away just love all of that that you see 
uh, but it's just sort of observing it. And so one of the first things that we always suggest to people is just to observe your own mind. And that means to notice yourself in moments of conflict or when you feel defensive or when something goes awry in your life. What does your mind do with that? What stories does your mind tell? What defense mechanisms are activated? And that'll give you a little bit of an idea of your shadow, right? So a lot of people, they will see anger in the world, but they'll have a really hard time owning that they have anger. So being able to just say something like if you have a if you have a disgust for anger, maybe you see people who are angry and it turns you off or you have no patience for it or you're afraid of it. If you have a strong charge around that emotion, there's likely some sort of rejection going on within yourself. So, you know, for example, in a group container, we might have a person come up and talk about that, their relationship to anger and then just say, you know, I am angry, fucking angry and and to scream, just yell. So, these are the types of examples that we do in in a shadow work container. In our program, In Heal Your Relationships, we have a bunch of different exercises and processes that we guide you through because shadow work isn't something that you just dive into I feel like without a proper container or support it can be a little overwhelming because sometimes we can have a really hard time understanding that all of that what we find doesn't make us bad or wrong it can be really challenging to look at our relationship patterns at first and take full responsibility because somehow that means that like we messed it all up and it's all our fault and we are to blame and so I really think it's important that when we do shadow work we do it in a community setting with guides so that we can reach out for support when we need it and be held but ultimately this is looking at the aspects that we deny the most that we reject the most so that we can integrate them and become more responsible for our lives so you know we talk a lot about the victim consciousness which is very different than being a victim right there's definitely such thing as being a victim of something And that is not part of this equation at all, right? But what we're talking about when we talk about victim consciousness is this idea that we are not responsible for anything that happens in our lives and that, you know, everything is always happening to us and that all of our relationships don't seem to work because the other person is to blame. And there's this really like innocent mask going on where we have yet to look at our own mind or our own role in what's happening. And so part of doing shadow work is seeing that part of ourselves that wants to evade responsibility for what's happening in our lives and our relationships, and then start to take a bit of ownership for what's going on and what's occurring and noticing the ways that we keep ourselves at arm length. Because the ego is really the culprit here because the ego just wants to stay safe and survive. That's its only MO. And you can't be in connection, you can't be in relationship and also be separate, right? And so when we're activated in our defense mechanisms or our coping mechanisms or our primal patterns in relationship, we're going to have to notice the things that we're doing that are keeping us separate and soften to those. But it's hard to do that if we're not aware. And so that's part of the the path that we go down when we're doing this work is we start to observe those things um, with compassion and we don't judge it. We just notice it. We've all got this stuff going on. There's not a person on the planet who doesn't. So it's not like you're going to find scary that is super unique. And in fact, that's sort of a story that a lot of people come in with, which is I'm so broken. I'm so different. I've been through so much that nobody can understand me which is again another reason we like to do this stuff in groups because you start to see oh I'm not I'm not so different after all I'm not I'm not so special I'm just like everyone else and uh, and that's where the healing begins mm-hmm. and so after that initial step of awareness of recognizing these different more sh- shadow aspects or like you said victim consciousness 
you talk about doing the work. So what does that is what does that mean to you? Does it uh, have a specific practice and use? Is there daily things that you do that you you define as the work? Explain what you mean by that. Well, it's going to be different for everybody, but ultimately, conscious relationship work. You know, is the work that we're referencing. If you have ever checked out like a course in miracles. Um, references referencing the work or like a lot of more esoteric principles like Carl Jung or Gurdjieff um, the work relates to the inner work of self-realization and so for me and for what we teach our students or the people who come through our doors is really this this concept that I mentioned already of observing the mind just noticing noticing the story noticing the separation or the thoughts of separation noticing the ego's defenses noticing all of the ways that we try to keep ourselves separate from others in the world and then just work on doing something a little bit differently working on on like letting that pass through noticing it and letting it go softening being more vulnerable and that takes practice so really the self-acceptance is at the foundation of all of this and in order to really be self-accepting we have to be in full ownership of ourselves of all of the things which is why it all reads back sort of to that shadow work aspect right because if you are denying a part of yourself you're not really self-accepting that's not that's not true self-acceptance so so what we really want is to be able to almost laugh at ourselves sometimes so for example you know my husband and I get into conflict or we both behave like children sometimes and we're in conflict and then we can laugh about it together like even in the moment because we see so clearly what our our patterns or what patterns are emerging what our minds are doing so the work really is going to be individual to your path so each of us have lessons that we're here to learn and each of us have developed our own responses to conflict and our own ways of staying safe in the world based on our past experiences and any traumas we might have gone through. And so there's no one or two step formula because this is about you understanding what are your defense mechanisms in relationship to yourself and to others? What are your belief systems? And then what is your medicine right now? Like what's your growth? What are the areas in which you personally need to grow? So for example, one person's growth edge might actually be staying in the game in relationship, you know, exiting relationship after relationship. My teacher used to say trading one more body for one more body, right? Just constantly like, oh, well, there's something wrong with you. I'm going to move on to the next, going to move on to the next. And there's this constant, you know, trading out one more body for the other because we're not responsible for anything. So it's just, there's something wrong with you. I'm going to find a new one. Whereas, you know, another person's growing edge in relationship might actually be to draw a line in the sand and say no more and to actually walk away. And so there's no one way to begin the work because you really have to go through the process of identifying what your core wounds are and what you are here to work on, right? So you made a post about this recently about your growth edge and there's it's going to be different for everyone like you said. So let's use the example of if your growth edge is vulnerability. What would you say mm-hmm. is a way that you could expand into that in terms of doing healing around learning to be vulnerable? Yeah, like so you've recognized that this is this is this is what your growth edge is in this particular relationship or just in relationship in general. So what what would sort of the medicine mm-hmm. around that be? 
Well, I mean, that's it's a loaded question because it's it takes again, it takes a process for you of really identifying what's behind that. And that's where, you know, doing the some of the inner child work or understanding your core wound can really help, right? Because if we're afraid to be vulnerable, there's gotta be a reason for that, right? We all form our protection mechanisms and our masks and our defenses as a way to stay safe in the world. And so first we have to have compassion for that and recognize that how we're responding now is okay. And it actually makes sense. It's really beautiful that we were able to do that, that we're able to protect our ourselves the best way we knew how. But to get to the lessons and to learn to practice vulnerability, we need to identify, you know, what's underneath that? What's the fear? You know, am I afraid of being controlled? Am I, am I afraid of disappearing? Am I afraid uh, of being hurt? And being able to give voice to that. So that's a really powerful tool is just being able to identify and then give voice to my fear and share that with somebody. Uh, but, you know, if we're in not in a safe relationship, then it's going to be sort of senseless in, in a way to to try to share that with somebody because maybe maybe they don't know how to honor that. But if we're in a relationship that is safe where we can actually bring ourselves to the table, um, then, you know, being able to give voice to our fears is one of the first steps. So, for example, if I'm in a conversation with somebody and I have a fear of speaking up, I could say something like, you know, I'm afraid to use my voice right now because I'm afraid of your judgment, but I want to share this with you anyways. You know, so you sort of out yourself in conversation so that you give yourself that uh, ownership and you bring the courage to share, regardless of the fact like I'm afraid and I'm going to share this thing, you know. Uh, so these are little ways that we do that. But ultimately, like practicing vulnerability comes with the ownership piece and also being able to do that inner child work where we can connect with that young part of us, whatever hurts or uh, betrayals or um, wounds are there from the past. If we can go back to those places and bring nurturance and care to those areas, then we can be more tender with ourselves and we can can sort of slowly bring down some of those walls. And so it's really like a slow, beautiful, nurturing process of being able to honor and nurture ourselves again, connect to our own vulnerability so that we can then actually show others our vulnerability. You know, so I've worked with people who, for example, um, are actually so, so tender and soft inside. But when they get into conflict with their partners, they become completely out of control and chaotic and they scream and they yell and they throw things and they get violent. And actually, you would think that that person is really, you know, maybe a, a fiery powerful person that just has like a, an imbalance of anger but oftentimes they're so terrified to use their voice that the only way they can do it is by puffing themselves up and becoming out of control because there's a not an ownership yet of their anger and there's not an ownership yet of their voice and so that's the only way that they can bring themselves and so we we always want to look at what's behind that behavior and then take ownership for it and then learn to work with it catch it in the moment does that make sense it does. And I, it makes me think about on a societal level, um, as a collective, what's happening where we have these kind of the old paradigm and the old patriarchal systems that are rising to the surface now to be released. And so they aren't, there is no hiding anymore. There is no, you know, we can't just say like the ignorance is bliss or anything like that. All of these things are rising to the surface. And I guess what I want to ask is as women going through 
how do we remain open as these things rise to be released? Because what I'm noticing is this sort of like a shift or a confusion where it's like the, the pains and the traumas are, are coming back up, yet at the same time, we are ready to open and release. And so there's this interesting shift that's going on. Does that make sense? Uh, maybe you could shorten it up for me a little bit. <laughs> So what I'm asking is, my question is more on a on a societal and collective level of as women like going through the shift that we're going through right now as well, and I, I guess as men too, where all of these old like systems are rising to the surface. So mm-hmm. for example, we see these different things happening in in the news, like from Me Too to Jeffrey Epstein to all of these different things that have kind of been hidden for a long time in government, all of this. So it's all coming to the surface, right? And so we're having a lot of these old traumas and experiences and like reliving these sort of darker things. Yet at the same time, there's this rise in mm-hmm. consciousness and awareness and a real desire to live a more open and vulnerable and you know expressive life so at on a collective level going through this shift I guess my question is like how to how to stay open in it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well it's just a choice I guess I mean, staying open is always a choice no matter what we're faced with. And sometimes it's not, it doesn't feel safe to stay open. And so sometimes we do need to protect ourselves and sometimes we do need to take a step back or guard ourselves for a little bit. But staying open to our own healing and staying open to the path that we have laid out for us is a choice that we have to make. And there's so much shifting in culturally, you know, for for both men and women, like my partner, my husband, Ben, he runs men's groups and um, he runs... Uh, this thing called Evolving Man, where he works a lot with men, sort of in the same way that I, I and Heather do with a uh, rising woman, but just for men. And, you know, there's no shortage of pain and suffering in the world. There's just no shortage of it. We all have ancestral trauma and pain and betrayal behind us. And there's just so much that we're carrying as a collective. And I think the most important thing is that we just remember that we are connected, that we're not from others. We're not separate from anyone else because of our pain our pain isn't what separates us it's what connects us but it's not our identity you know and I think be the really hard thing is when we start to go down this path we can become so consumed and identify with all of our pain and our trauma that it feels too much like we have to shut it down because it's just too much to bear and so that's what making the choice to stay open really comes also with not attaching to and identifying with our pain right remembering like this pain does not make you who you are this trauma doesn't make you who you are this this you know ancestral wound that you're carrying from all of the women before you is not who you are being able to look with a compassionate sort of a little bit of a detached perspective right. where we're able to separate ourselves a bit from what it is that we're navigating or what it is that we're healing because it doesn't always have to be so heavy and if we find ourselves getting really weighed down then we might make the choice to close close up shop and not go any deeper because it's so really adding lay and adding lightness to the journey to me is so important because if we're constantly dragging ourselves through the mud well who's going to want to stay in that it's not fun so what are some ways that you add play to to the process for you 
there's I mean so many ways I mean one of the ways is dance like I think a lot of people really love to dance and it's even a really great way to move anger in the body is to dance and then also just you know I have a baseline of silliness like my husband and I are very playful and silly like we're constantly singing and dancing and joking together and that's just our nature Um, but for everybody it's going to be different so my suggestion is always just to find something that fuels your inner child and something that feels really light to you and that's going to look different for each of us Uh, but just remembering to connect to you know that essence of childlike nature and play and laughter and to sort of not take life too seriously like not take the healing work so seriously um, that you become all consumed by it so what do you think why do you think that the inner child is in the inner child sort of work is such like an integral part of healing and reconnecting to that there's there's this aspect of all of us that is quite young, right? And in uh, Gay and Kathleen Hendricks um, of uh, Conscious Loving and uh, I think it's the Conscious Heart as well. Um, they're two of my favorite authors, and they talk a lot about how our uh, coping mechanisms and our defenses in relationship form as early as six months. Gabor Mate talks about this as well, how some of our earliest trauma happens before we're even six months old. So when you think of it from that perspective, when we revert into these childlike states in conflict, and we become like a six month old or three years old when we're in conflict and we're acting out, we're not in our adult self, we're in our child self. And so we actually have to learn to reparent that little human and know what that human little human needs, right? So we call it reparenting because we're reconnecting to that little small part of us that is very innocent, but just just act doesn't think. And we reconnect to, okay, well, what do you need? What are you afraid of? And we really learn to tend to and nurture that little part of ourselves that is still quite young. And in doing that, we can become more mature and, you know, we can behave more like adults. We have more control over our reactions. Um, So that's why it's important because uh, ultimately when we're triggered in conflict, we're not, you know, 35 or, you know, 25 anymore. We're more like, you know, three years old. So you're talking to a three-year-old in those moments, you know, so you gotta, you gotta do that work. Hmm. Yeah. Love that. So I want to kind of shift into more of the conscious relationship stuff right now. So I'm kind of, I'm curious how that shift happened with rising women of really recognizing that shift into focusing on conscious relationship and how that evolved. And then also what, what does that mean to you? And what, what does this mean? And I know you talk about it, not just when you hear the word conscious relationship, the first thing you I think of is relationship with two people or romantic relationship. But I know what you say is it's actually it starts with the with the self and it goes beyond that. So I'd love for you to just sort of talk on on this space. Mm hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, Heather and I both, um, my business partner and I, we have both been doing the same work with the same teacher together for years and years. So that's sort of, you know, we just began to write and to share from our own past experiences. We're both in human design, we're both projectors. So we have sort of gathered experiences in in order to share wisdom. And uh, so it just sort of was born out of that. Like, it's just what we naturally are drawn to writing about. And yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Conscious relationship is just about relationship 
relationship to self, right? So I often say to people, okay, well, what's the difference between a traditional, you know, whatever you call it, regular relationship, let's say conventional relationship, 99% of society is engaged in, and what we call conscious relationship, or we might want to call it holy or sacred relationship. Well, the only real difference is that we are in ownership of and responsible for our minds in relationship. So it no longer becomes about what the other person is or isn't doing or who's right or who's wrong. Instead, it becomes about learning about our minds in relationship. It becomes about learning about our own unresolved wounds or our unfinished business from the past. And so instead of projecting our anger or our disappointment or our sadness or our you know, unhappiness at a person, which is what we typically do in relationship, right? Like something goes wrong in our lives and somehow it's our partner's fault or we think the relationship is to blame. So we ditch them and we go find someone else who can give us that quick hit of happy chemicals. The honeymoon phase wears off, boom, we find someone else. Okay. The difference is in when we're practicing conscious relationship, we're really practicing conscious relationship with ourselves. We're really practicing self-awareness. That's it. We're just looking at our own shadow tendencies, our own projections, our own expectations of how others should be and should make us feel and what they should give us. And instead, we take full ownership for that, for our reactions, for our our sensations in our body, and we observe our minds. So instead of telling my husband that, you know, it's his fault that I'm feeling this way because he did X, Y, Z, I can say, you know, this experience really caused me to feel angry because it reminded me of a time in my past where I was disregarded and dismissed. And I'm feeling really triggered right now because you remind me of somebody from my past right? That's the only real difference here is we're still going to get triggered. We're still going to fight. Sometimes we're still going to act like kids. We're still going to have all of the same things that come up. But the only piece that shifts is the awareness and the ability to take ownership for what's happening so we can work through it. So we can begin to see the ways that we project onto others in relationship and start to take those projections back and actually have a chance of being happy long-term in relationship, not making the other person responsible for everything that happens, not making them responsible for our happiness. It goes back to what you said about the ownership piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all, that's really the essence of it, right? It's ownership. Like I'm responsible for my mind, my emotions, my behavior, my thoughts, my feelings. And that doesn't mean that, you know, it's free reign for people to mistreat us or cross our boundaries or anything like that. But that's sort of separate from what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is being self-aware and in responsible for how we show up. Mm-hmm. And the more we are in ownership, the less likely we're to allow someone else to cross our boundaries, right? Because if we're self-accepting, we're also self-respecting. So in, in your work, you talk a lot about boundaries as well and how they're kind of, they're separate, but then they also work together, right? Within conscious relationships. So how would you, why do you think boundaries are such an integral part of the work that you do? I like to look at it a bit from a somatic perspective. So, you know, we form our boundaries based on our our development when we're growing up. So for example, if our attachment needs weren't met, we might either become avoidant or anxious. And that sort of creates blurred boundaries. Either we're over-boundaried, so we don't let anyone get through, or we're under-boundaried and we have what we call enmeshment. So we're more codependent. We more like look to the other person to, to tell us how, how good we are, or how bad we are, or we identify with their emotions. So if they're feeling something, we think it's our, our fault or we need 
to fix them or you know we'll get caught up with people trying to save or change them so it really does all come down to having a safe healthy internal compass and feeling like we have just the right amount of togetherness and separateness so boundaries really are in place for us to be healthy sovereign individuals who can also be in healthy connection with other people healthy boundaries mean that we can connect intimately with someone that we feel safe to let someone into our world we also know when to to say no and when to protect ourselves but we're not getting lost in the other person and we're not also preventing ourselves from connecting entirely so that's ultimately just you know the essence of, of boundary work and something that I really recommend to everyone is to try somatic experiencing therapy if you feel like you're struggling with your boundaries and you're doing the the work around it in your in your mindset also take action around the physical healing because somatic experiencing work really works uh, uh, on your nervous system level so helping you to like redefine your physical boundaries in your body uh, is really really powerful and so can you explain a little bit more about what somatic experiencing therapy is yeah, it's it's an, essentially it's working on rewiring your nervous system. So there's if you Google somatic experiencing therapist in your area, you might find somebody and it's really about retraining and rewiring your nervous system for healthy boundaries. Wow, that's super interesting. Yeah. Okay. And so beyond that, is there other work or resources that you would recommend to someone who is saying who's wanting to work on boundaries but perhaps doesn't have the the internal it's like you need need is needing to rewire or or realign their own internal compass to do the work. Mm-hmm. Well, we, you know, we do do this kind of work in our program and heal your relationships. So we go a lot into um, conscious boundary setting and what that looks like. We do exercises to explore what's at the root of your boundary setting issues. So why, why do you set boundaries or, or not set boundaries the way that you do? So before we really get into boundary work, it's really important to understand what's your boundary style and why is it so like what's underneath that. And so I really recommend doing that exploration and um, you can work with a therapist and you can also do somatic experiencing those are sort of the things if you feel really really stuck um, if you've got trauma the somatic experiencing therapy can really help move the trauma out of the body or help the body process it and release it so I often think that you know when we're really really stuck boundaries there's something in our body that hasn't been moved out and even if you think your mind has dealt with that event it's possible that your body is still holding it and so there's always this combination so when people take heal your relationships we also say hey by the the way, we also suggest that you go find a practitioner in your area who can do some body work with you. And so it's really sort of twofold. Yeah, I think that's huge. Like the the different things that just get stored in our body totally unconsciously. Mm-hmm. So talking about, I want to touch on the different wounds that you talk about in your work, the abandonment wound and the mother wound. Those are sort of two that I've heard come up here, heard come up over time. Can you just touch on what, what those are and yeah, maybe give like a little overview of, of someone who isn't familiar with these? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the abandonment wound often forms in early childhood when we, you know, didn't have our needs met in some way. So I wrote an article on risingwoman.com about this. It goes full into, you know, what the abandonment wound looks like. And oftentimes, we will become either extremely avoidant or extremely anxious in relationships. So when we didn't get the love that we needed, or when our needs weren't met in some way, we'll have this wound around abandonment. So we might fear that someone's going to leave us, we might fear getting close to other people, we might be afraid to show our vulnerability, and we might act out 
out really strongly in relationships or try to push people away unconsciously. We might always test people until the straw breaks because uh, we just expect them to leave or we're waiting for the other shoe to drop. So we never really feel safe. That's the abandonment wound. You know, I had to really work through a lot of that with myself because of my experiences in early childhood. Um, And many of us have this wound and it can be as simple as, you know, getting dropped off at camp one day and you don't know where your parents are for a week to, you know, literal abandonment. There's a great book called The Journey from uh, Abandonment to Healing. And uh, I love that book. I would recommend it if you want to dig deeper into that. And then, you know, another piece too is, you know, mother work. So Christiane Northrup in her book, Mother Daughter Wisdom, she talks about how, you know, as soon as we are conceived, essentially, we're feeding information to the nervous system of our baby and we're receiving downloads about, you know, our self-esteem and how we how we care for ourselves and how we love ourselves and how we feel about ourselves all through that connection to the mother. And so if our mother didn't have a healthy relationship with herself or if there was neglect or abuse or any type of betrayal there, we can be carrying that wound around. And then there's also this collective, you know, wound amongst women, right? So so those are two of the aspects that we kind of dive into. And um, when we're healing these wounds, we're really going back to nurturing that inner child again. We're doing the shadow work and we're, we're also doing forgiveness work. So we're looking at the ways that we are still giving our power away to those past experiences or to those people who have hurt us. And we're relieving them of the uh, role of, you know, changing what happened. And instead we're integrating that experience. We're doing the work to move through the anger, the sadness, the grief, and then to, to forgiveness, um, which is a process. You can't move through it any faster than that. And you can't skip the anger. You can't skip the grief to get to the forgiveness. You do have to do the healing work by feeling all of those things first and then get to that forgiveness state, um, which is where we, we're, we are free of those past stories. I wanted to ask why you think, why is forgiveness such a fundamental part of this work? Forgiveness, you know, oftentimes people think forgiveness means like it makes the thing that happened okay, and it doesn't. But you know, imagine holding anger in the body is is not good for the body, right? It's just not. And holding on to any sort of negative charge in our body is not a healthy experience. So if we're gonna hold on to anger and resentment at another person in our lives forever, we're never gonna let them go. We're holding them in our experience. We're holding them in our minds. So they still have power over us in that way. So forgiveness is really this element of creating freedom in, internally, right? You want to feel peace. In order to feel peace, mm-hmm. you have to forgive. That doesn't mean that you welcome them back into your life. It doesn't mean that what they did was okay. But there is this, there is a sense of being able to connect to, you know, the innocence of all people or the innocence of that person, even 1% in the innocence of yourself and being able to just process the emotion, process the anger, process the grief, and then get to forgiveness so that you can be free of that. Because anything else, if you're holding it, you're actually the one that's being tortured and it's not fair to you to hold on to that for your whole life and it prevents us from actually having new experiences because so when we're holding resentment we're always going to be looking for that in other people right we're going to be constantly operating from a place of self-protection because we don't want to be hurt like that again and that's you know makes sense that we would do that and in some ways we should do that because we want to keep ourselves safe but if we're still very much locked in the anger or the sadness the grief of it all we haven't allowed ourselves to move through it, then we're not shifting out of that state. We're just staying stuck in it. And then we won't be able to have anything new. And that's forgiveness is it's the work to um, liberate ourselves from being stuck in, you know, stagnant energy. We don't want to be stuck there. Yeah, that was really beautifully stated. Thank you. Well, is there anything else that you want to touch on or say before we wrap up here? Anything that is coming up for you? The only 
what I would add is uh, just to sort of tie up that piece on forgiveness that I sort of didn't say is there's also the element of forgiveness of ourselves. And I yes. just, I think we want to end with that because we do this work, we do the shadow work, we do the ownership work, we see all of the ways that we contribute to whatever is happening in our lives. And that can be a heavy load to carry. And so ultimately doing forgiveness work as well with others is important that you do it for yourself because this work isn't about being wrong and it's not about being to blame and it's not about you know making you a bad person because now you're responsible for everything it's not that if you can forgive yourself and accept that you're human and accept that you know you're going to make mistakes and sometimes you're going to mess things up sometimes really badly but that's part of the human experience and that you're still lovable and at your core you're innocent there's this like teaching in Course in Miracles that at our core we are innocent if we can accept that about ourselves and do the work to forgive ourselves and remember that you know we are always doing the best with what we've got then we have the capacity to go really really deep into our healing so ultimately you want to be able to forgive yourself because you're learning and we're all learning we're all on a path and mm-hmm. beat ourselves up for the things that we did in the past because those very things brought us to this place so um, I just wanted to encourage that before we closed up that you know self-forgiveness is is a pretty important one to pay attention to yeah and Going back real quick to the attachment work, um, I know there's a book attached. Is that is that mm-hmm. one that you would recommend for someone wanting to learn more about their attachment style? Yeah, I mean that's a really good one. It's a it's a really good intro. I really like going even deeper though because I think if we you know understanding our attachment style is 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 great. But I love to take it a little bit deeper. So one book that I really love is the book the Projector in You. <laughs> yeah, I want to go deep. So. Attached is great if you want to get a a feel for your attachment style, but there's a book called Conscious Loving by Gay and Kathleen Hendricks. And I would, I would probably suggest that one as well. It's really, and you know, we do this work in our programs as well around these things because, you know, whether you're anxious or you're avoidant, I mean, it's all anxiety in some form, really underneath that there's fear. And so we want to, you know, be gentle with those fears. And I don't like to pathologize too much. So it's nice to just kind of understand where we're coming from and where we where we don't feel safe. How can we learn to feel safe? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I want to ask you a couple questions, rapid fire questions to just end, end this conversation up. So first one kind of along the note of this is what is the one book or a book that totally changed your life getting the love you want by harville Hendricks. okay cool what is your one routine in the day that non-negotiable to ground you i love going for walks every day the last time i felt totally afraid and what you did to self-soothe Hmm. Anytime I feel really afraid, what I do to self-soothe is I I reconnect to my feeling sense. So I just be I just be with the sensations in my body. I close my eyes and I breathe deeply and I name the sensations in my body. And then if I feel like I need support, then I will you know invite my partner to sit in front of me and I'll just report the sensations and the feelings in my body and just breathe deeply. Remind myself. It's beautiful. What is one thing that most people don't know about you? Most people don't know about my my childhood. Most people don't know that um, growing up for me was a very tumultuous journey. <laughs> and what's inspiring you now? The the very work that I'm doing is so inspiring for me, and also really getting deeper into studying marriage because I just got married in June. And uh, congratulations! My Thank you. Mm-hmm. We're working 
building a program for couples. And uh, so I'm, I'm really enjoying the deeper exploration of working with couples and um, yeah, just seeing what keeps them connected and I'm, lo- I'm loving that. Mm-hmm. And last thing, words for words of wisdom for anyone starting this journey of even or not even a journey because I think we're already on it, but awareness of entering into a conscious relationship. First of all, with themselves, what would you say to them? It's not a race. There's no rush. This is a lifelong journey and be gentle with yourself. Beautiful. And where can people find you? My website is risingwoman.com and you can find me on Instagram at risingwoman. And then my personal uh, Instagram is at Shalina Ayana. And uh, maybe you could just pop that in the show notes or something because that'll be of hard, course. hard yeah. for people. But if you go to uh, Instagram at Rising Woman and you click our uh, link tree, you'll see I've linked to my personal page as well. And for anyone who wants to get involved with Rising Woman and uh, more specifically the group work that you do, your different offerings, do you have anything coming up that they could you know, get involved in or any other offerings that you might have for them? Yeah, so there's tons of articles and things on our website, uh, risingwoman.com. And then we also have our eight-week online program called Heal Your Relationship, where we, you know, we guide you through each of the modules on conscious relationship, boundary setting, inner child work, healing the abandonment wound, all of that, and it includes group work online. And uh, we also have a family counselor who is a part of our team who helps guide and answer questions. So that's our main offering right now. And you can always just check our website for the to see when the next cohort begins. Cool. And just to clear things up, do people need to be in relationship to do the conscious relationship program? No. I mean, you need to be in relationship with yourself and you need to be in relationship in the world in general. So (laughs) like, (laughs) but no, I'd say like probably 80 or 90% of the people who take our programs are single. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Just want to clarify that. So anyone listening who's like, I'm not in relationship, you can still do it. And you are in relationship. Yeah. <laughs> I think maybe that's like the, the foundation of this whole episode. Well, thank you so much for taking the time mm-hmm. to share this knowledge and this wisdom with us. And I just want to acknowledge you for showing up in the world the way that you do and diving into this work in such a true and empowering and honest and and really profound way and kind of... Um, creating the space for for us to go into these places in ourself and on an individual level but also as a collective too and I'm really honored to get to share this time with you and have this conversation so thank you thank you thank you so much for listening to this episode of Ruby Ray I am your host Jacqueline Norton and I'll see you next time